Uh, you, you might be someone who knows the pain uh, of broken relationship uh, and the hurt that comes with that. Uh, you may have experienced cancer or some other uh, kind of debilitating health condition or, or looked on as a loved one has battled with the reality of life and death only to uh, have them die. Uh, and it may be a current thing that you're wrestling with and uh, something that's been long term and you think, well, I've just had enough. Or, or perhaps it's something uh, new that you're uh, getting your head around. Uh, whether it be war, disabilities, financial ruin, natural disaster, COVID-19 and, and all that it has brought to our world, suffering for us in this life, it is just a reality, isn't it? And you don't have to sort of scratch too far beneath the surface of a person's life uh, to come across something. Many of you have suffered in, in profound ways. Uh, and as they say, if you haven't yet known significant suffering, just wait a while. Uh, now I'm sure most of us at least uh, have someone close who is struggling with the reality of uh, profound suffering. And we might ask, why? Why me? Uh, why now? Why them? You know, why them? Of all people, why them? How could God allow this? And the reality of suffering, it's not something that we wrestle with from the armchair, so to speak, uh, comfortable and relaxed, uh, but from the wheelchair, uh, busted and uh, broken in pain. Uh, and so the questions that come up, they're not asked in the distance, in the abstract, but close to home, and they're all deeply personal. God, what are you doing with me? Do you even care about me? How could you let this happen? You're meant to be loving, aren't you? Is, is that even true? It, uh, is it something that I did or something that I said? Suffering. Uh, we're looking at Job for the next five weeks. Uh, Job, not Job, uh, which is interesting, isn't it? Job, who suffered profoundly. Uh, in the New Testament wisdom book of James, which we looked at last year, speaking about patience in the face of suffering, James says in chapter 5, you've heard of Job's perseverance and you've seen what the Lord finally brought about. Job was restored in the end. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, what is on view in this great book of Job is a real man who really suffered. And it's 42 chapters long, and so we could take a whole lot more than five weeks uh, to look at it. There's an introduction, we're looking at that this afternoon, where the, the situation is established. And then there's Job and his friends, and chapters and chapters of, of talking. And finally, God speaks when we get to chapter 38, and Job is restored. Now, that's sort of something of the structure of the book. And apart from the beginning and the end, it's all poetry. So 95% poetry. Uh, and as is the case with poetry, we're to be taken into the emotion of it. Uh, we're to slow down. And for that reason, I'd encourage you to be reading it yourself during the week. Listen to it on your, your audio uh, Bible. 
Have a go at reading all 42 chapters. But while the subject is suffering, the big question of the book, it's does Job serve God for what God gives him? Job's a wealthy man, isn't he, at least to start with? We see that in those first five verses. Verse 1, we we read that Job is blameless and upright, a a man who fears God and shuns evil. In verse 5, he he has this concern for his children. They like to party. And given the great wealth and blessing from God that this family enjoys, we might reason, of course, they're not going to, to curse God but praise him for all that they have. Yet Job would sacrifice a burnt offering for the kids, thinking, well, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Although there's so much wealth, Job seems to know that the heart is inclined to sin and that sin must be dealt with. Hey, Job's described as a blameless man. But does he worship God because of what God has given him? Is he a prosperity gospel man? I give to God so that I can get. Is his devotion to God based on what he has? The kids, there's a whole swag of them. And the sheep and the camels and the yoke of oxen and the donkeys and the servants, the wealth. Or does Job serve God? Because God is worthy of worship. Now that's the big question of the book. And so the question that we're led to ask of ourselves is, well, I worship the God of the Bible, you say. Why? For what you get? Or because he is God and he alone is to be worshipped? Let's just observe how this question is raised in chapter 1 and then again in chapter 2. The scene is set, uh, firstly, verses 6 to 12. And I'll read just verse 6 and 7. Have a look if your Bible's there. Well, we read, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. As readers, we're given the otherworldly backstory, the information that Job will never get. And we're reminded that there is more to this life than what we can see and touch. You see the footnote in your Bible, if you have an NIV, for verse 6. Uh, angels, or in the footnote, more literally translated, sons of, God, sons of God. That is, these angels, they are a part of God's creation. They come from him. Supernatural, yes, but subdivine. In Ephesians 6, the, the Apostle Paul, he reminds his reader that our battle, it's not against people. It's not against flesh and Blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. There are things going on that we cannot see. A Hindu worldview, you know, is, is that there are many gods. 
none, none that has ultimate power and some that are profoundly evil. And that must make for a very anxious universe, wouldn't you say, as these little gods fight amongst each other, jostling for, for power. The biblical point of view is that there is a sovereign God, perfectly loving and almighty, the great and loving creator God. But there are these other supernatural beings too. And in this scene, the angels, they're reporting to the Lord. And we might imagine something of uh, uh, someone bringing their, I don't know, monthly report to their superior. This is what I've been up to. But also Satan, he's there with them. And again, from the footnotes, Satan is a title telling us something about him, meaning adversary or opponent, enemy. And soon we'll see that this Satan will oppose Job. In verse 8, the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job as he's been roaming around? And it could be translated, have you set your heart on my servant, Job? Perhaps like one of those sort of terrier dogs set themselves on people. And the Lord just repeats what the narrator has already said. There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. This guy is genuinely sincere in his worship of the Lord. But what does the adversary, the Satan, say? The big question of the book, is he really sincere? Verse 9 to 11, does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you put a hedge around him and his household, everything that he has? You've blessed the work of his hands. So his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. He's just this way because you've given... Because of all that you've given him, claims Satan. Verse 11, but now stretch out your hand and strike everything that he has and he'll surely curse you to your face. We had Job worried about the kids. They may have sinned in their hearts. But now we have Satan insisting to the Lord that Job will curse him to his face. That is, if everything is taken away. And I guess it's surprising that God lets him. Verse 12, the Lord says to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but he's restrained on the man himself. You may not lay a finger. Satan opposes Job. Yet he does so in a way, as Christopher Ashe puts it in his commentary, a way that strangely and paradoxically will eventually be seen to serve the purposes of the Lord. Do you see that the honour of the Lord is at stake here? The glory of the Lord? Imagine if the Lord's people worshipped him just for what we can get. Satan can't understand that Job would fear God for nothing. If he doesn't have a concept of a a relationship where the focus isn't selfish. 
And this is a problem with our world, isn't it? Relationships so often revolve around what I can get. And you may have experienced the situation where someone has used you or been interested in you simply for what they can, well, for what you can give them. Sex, money, uh, to, to fix the problem of loneliness. I'm lonely and there's no one else around. You'll do. The, the classic example is the 70-year-old bloke married to the 23-year-old model. They're using each other. He's using her for a body. She's using him for the money. People often make friends for what they can get. But what kind of messed up, perverse relationship is that? Satan is claiming it's like that between Job and the Lord, that it's like that between the Lord and his people. The prosperity gospel, of course, I'll worship you, God, because if I do, you'll do what I want, a beautiful wife, a great sex life. We'll produce high-achieving children and live a luxurious and carefree life. No, no, that's not the way. The Lord is to be worshipped because he is the Lord and he is worthy. And so we have this devastating scene play out, don't we? And we mustn't forget the weight of these first two chapters as we continue in the rest of the book. Uh, Not the backstory now, but just an ordinary day that ends... Well, it begins as an ordinary day and it ends with Job having nothing. It's verse 13 to 23. The kids were feasting as they do. Are they your typical entitled children? Uh, And the first messenger comes to to Job. The oxen were ploughing, the donkeys grazing nearby comes the the message. But the Sabines, a, a nomadic tribal group, either southwestern, from southwestern or northern Arabia, they attack and they, they make off with all of it and they put those servants to the sword. And we read in verse 15 what will become the refrain, I am the only one who has escaped to tell you, says the servant. And as that messenger is still speaking, another messenger turns up, verse 16, and as that messenger is still speaking, another messenger, verse 17, and another messenger, verse 18. And in verse 16, it was the fire of God, we read, that fell from the heavens, a way of referring to lightning. The sheep and the servants burnt up. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And in verse 17, it was the raiding party. The camels are gone, the servants put to the sword. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And verse 18 and 19, most devastating of all, the kids were feasting. It's at the big brother's house. A mighty wind sweeps through the desert and strikes down the four corners of the house, four corners stressing the the completeness of this disaster. And before Job can even ask a a question, the message, it's collapsed on them and they're dead and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Like shots from a gun, one after another, after another, after another, after another. What a terrible day. Just like that, it's gone. 
they're gone. All of it, all of them, the wealth, the servants, the kids. And the greatest man among the people of the East, a man of integrity, who fears God and shuns evil, he has no possessions, no family apart from his wife. Does Job serve God for what God gives him? Or does Job serve God because God is worthy? Well, the response is remarkable, isn't it? After that, verse 20 to 22, it's become famous, hasn't it? People stick it on their fridges. It's used in the outlines to funerals. Job got up and tore his robe. He shaved his head. He fell to the ground in worship. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked... I will depart, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, may the name of the Lord be praised. And we read in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And all this, it's not happening from the comfortable armchair, is it? But from the wheelchair, so to speak. It feels as though we could just leave it there, don't you think? That's enough. Uh, Satan's proved wrong. Satan predicts that Job will curse God. Instead, Job worships and praises God. He knows that sooner or later he'll die. He'll take nothing with him. Ecclesiastes, another wisdom book, has that, that similar verse. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. And everyone, as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing for their toil that they can carry in their hands. Job gets that this, this prosperity, it's all gift from God. But shockingly, it is not left there. And as readers, we're taken back to that unseen reality. And there's no indication of the time period between the disasters. But disaster is set to strike again. And in chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, you notice as Bindi was reading, it just sounds the same, doesn't it? Another day, the angels come and they present themselves to the Lord, their superior. Satan comes with them and again we're reminded, Satan, he's accountable to the Lord. He can only do what the Lord will allow. Verse 3, have you considered my servant Job, says the Lord to Satan. We've been here before. There's no one like him. Blameless, upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. And sort of while Satan sets things up, does Job fear God for nothing? It seems here Satan really just wants Job ruined, not tested, but taken out altogether. In verse 4 of chapter 2, Satan says, skin for skin, a, a man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he'll surely curse you to your face. Satan's argument seems to be it's one thing to take all of the bloke's possessions, all that he has and the people around him, possessions, family, yeah, that hurts. 
but to attack what a person is, his bone and flesh, the inside and the outside of of the person, that's the way to really test how genuine Job is. And shockingly, even after rebuking Satan for the previous time, the, the Lord allows it. With Satan's only limitation, verse 6, you must spare his life. And the image of uh, painful sores from head to, to toe, it's quite vivid, isn't it? A man in agony and scraping himself with broken pottery sitting among the ashes from the most wealthy, the greatest in the East, to sitting in ash in an ash heap in agony. And the only one he has left, his precious wife, who of course was devastated and grieving herself, but she takes up the temptation of of Satan and you can understand this, can you not? They've lost everything. And verse 9 and 10, she says, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. But again, the response is just so remarkable, isn't it? You're talking like a foolish woman. He doesn't call her a fool. But you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And finally we read, in all this Job did not sin in what he said. Now, Job may have sinned in his heart. He was concerned about that for his children, wasn't he? But Satan's test was the tongue. Now, we we sing that song, Shall I take from your hand your blessing, yet not welcome any pain? Shall I thank you for days of sunshine, yet grumble in days of rain? Now, I'm really conscious that what I've done this afternoon is just retold what we read. Uh, And that may raise lots of questions, hey. Uh, And I think, in part, that's what this is meant to do. Uh, We need some space to sit with this, don't we? Do you worship the Lord for nothing? That is not for what you can get, but because he is worthy of our worship. That in fact he builds us, he makes us, and this universe and all that is in it, to worship him. Now I'm really thankful that as we all these years later look back on the book of Job, we look back through the lens of Jesus, And that as we look back, we know that one greater than Job has come. Jesus, not just blameless, but completely sinless. Jesus, not just the greatest in the East, but the greatest one in all of human history. Jesus, who resisted the temptation of Satan, unlike us, to the point of death, but who also triumphed over Satan and all that is evil through his blood shed on that cross, disarming the powers and authorities, as Paul says in 
Colossians 2. And that today when tempted, God's people can tell the devil to piss off and he'll flee. Resist the devil and he will flee. Jesus who says one day he will return and wipe away all the tears. We we looked at Job 1 and 2 in our small group on Tuesday night uh, and there were lots of really helpful things said. Uh, Jen reflected on looking at Job while while we were at Bible college. Uh, The Old Testament lecturer there, uh, uh, he had a baby die very young uh, and he printed that verse uh, on the funeral handout, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Uh, may the name of the Lord be praised. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And someone else who had had a similar experience only earlier came to him and spoke with him quite strongly. You can't put that on the service handout. They were angry. I can put whatever I want on the service handout. It's my child that's dead, came the response. He's not usually a combative person. But as uh, this lecturer reflected, he said it is one thing to put that on the handout, uh, to make the statement, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. But then you live it out. In this book of Job, that's what we see. In grief, in pain, in suffering, with all of the questions that arise from the wheelchair, the Lord, he is to be worshipped. How about we pray? Our great God, uh, as we come to you in the mess of this life, uh, we're conscious of our own sin and the trouble that it brings. But we're conscious too, Lord, that there are things that are so difficult and hard to explain that we cry out to you that questions arise from the wheelchair. And Lord, we pray that we would be a people who keep on crying out to you in the grief and the pain. And we pray too that you would have us be a people who worship you in sunshine and in rain. For you alone are worthy of our worship. Our loving Father, we thank you for the innocent sufferer, Jesus. We thank you that from the highest to the lowest, he suffered in our place. And we thank you too that he has defeated the devil. And Lord, while we know the the devil lingers, We thank you that there will be a day when Jesus returns and makes all things new. 
Lord, we, we want to recognise that you are far bigger and mightier than we could ever imagine. And we pray that you would help us marvel at you for your glory. Amen.